Okay, um, welcome to another edition of Culture Club Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. So, today I have no guests. Um, if you are a frequent listener of the podcast, you know that from time to time, um, when important events happen, I tend to go on these, I don't want to say rants, but you know, just tend to shed some lights on some important moments that happen from time to time. Um, I did so briefly during the Black Lives Matter uh, protest when George Floyd was murdered, and today is no different. So bear with me. I know all of October um, is supposed to be dedicated to um, Hispanics for the Hispanic Heritage Month series, but um, I want to apologize to all Hispanic listeners and people who are looking forward to the, ter- the third interview in that series. Today is Monday, October 19th, 2020. The time is 1.30 a.m. in the morning. Usually I, I release my episodes around 2 a.m. Uh, Monday morning. And, you know, it depends on what country you are, you know, time zone might differ. But I had to, like, kind of, like, stop today's episode from going out. It had already been programmed into the system, but I had to, like, stop it from going out because I had to record this at 1.30 a.m. and I'll probably put this out, edit this, and put this out right after this. Something is going on in Nigeria right now. and. So regular listeners of the podcast, I've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, You guys probably know I'm Nigerian. Um, But for the benefit of new listeners, I was born in Nigeria. I lived there for the first 26 years of my life or 27 years of my life, something like that. Something is currently going on in Nigeria. And it would be unfair for me to have a platform like this, no matter how small I'm not draw additional attention to what's going on in Nigeria. You know, a lot of attention has been shed on the situation, but I'm just lending my own two cents in my own little way to let my listeners be aware of what's going on. So if you guys are on Twitter or Instagram or, you know, any type of social media, you might be familiar with the hashtag and SARS, E-N-D-S-A-R-S, and SARS. Today being October 19th, I want to say demonstrations and protests have been going on in and around the world, but particularly in and around various states in Nigeria for about 10 days now. I think the protest started October 9th, if I'm not mistaken, that was like last Thursday or last Friday, something like that. Well, about 10 straight days of protests. Why? Because young people in Nigeria are demanding that the government do something about SARS. What is SARS? A lot of people, given that, you know, we're in a pandemic, when the hashtag started trending and SARS, people were confused. They were like, is SARS back? Because we're thinking about the anti-respiratory disease that 
you know, emanated somewhere in Asia in the early 2000s. I think just because of COVID, people were thinking SARS was back and, and people were like panicking or whatnot. But that's not the SARS we're talking about. There are different SARS. I think South Africa also has like a South Africa Revenue Service, which is kind of like the IRS, but that's not the SARS we're talking about. The SARS we're referring to with this hashtag is the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, which is a unit of the Nigerian police. So the Special Anti-Robbery Squad was created in 1984, if I'm not mistaken. That was a couple of years before I was born. I was born in 89. And I think at the time, Nigeria was suffering from a lot of uh, robberies, like armed robberies. And, you know, it got so bad to the extent that, you know, if robbers wanted to attack a house, sometimes they'll send letters day before, like, hey, expect us on Thursday, we're, we're coming. So uh, members of the house will just gather your money, you know, gather valuables and just, you know, leave the door unlocked so when the robbers came in they don't hurt anyone just part with their money you know it used to be that bad you know of course there are still cases of robbers in the country just like any other country but it's not as bad as it was like in the 80s and the early 90s so i think that the government constituted this special division in the nigerian police force to tackle that specific menace and, you know, things happened, you know, they, they captured a few people. I don't know how effective they were, but I want to believe they were somewhat effective, um, whether it was as a result of their direct effort or just, you know, the country in general or whatever, but I want to believe they were somewhat effective in the first few years after they were created in 1984. But things changed when a few years later, maybe in the mid-90s or early 2000s, there weren't as much cases of robberies. Because back then, you usually wouldn't see members of this special anti-robbery squad. You didn't have any reason to see them. They had their own division. They had their own um, stations and whatnot, their own equipment, their own artillery, all that stuff. And if there was, you know, a robbery attack somewhere, you know, someone can call the hotline, or if the police, the, you know, regular police force is faced, are facing difficulties, you know, apprehending a robber, then they can involve them kind of like SWAT, so I can call them in and they'll come. But, you know, when the robbery incident died in Nigeria, suddenly there were hundreds or even maybe thousands of these officers belonging to this special anti-robbery squad unit that didn't necessarily I don't know if they were bored or they didn't have a lot to do because the, the robbery cases went down but then we started seeing them on the street we just started seeing them on the street like they left their post maybe you know the going to the police station or going to their unit and staying there for a month, two months and seeing that there's no action and you know, maybe they were hungry for action or whatever. You just started seeing them on the street. And this particular unit became a menace to the society. And I'm not sugarcoating that in any way. These people started extorting young people, male, female, whatever, 
they'll see you on the road, they'll apprehend you, force you to unlock your phone, sometimes rough you up, you know, slap you, beat you, force you to part with any cash that you have. If you're driving a nice car, you know, they set up illegal roadblocks on the road and force you to pull over and force you to part with your valuables. Sometimes they puncture tires, make sure you don't go anywhere. Sometimes you don't, if you don't have enough money with you on your person, maybe you're just carrying a lot of cash, they force you to the nearest ATM and beat you to the point where you divulge your PIN number and they forcefully withdraw money from your account. And sometimes, this is even the funny one, I remember when I was back in Nigeria, this was a popular one. They forced you to transfer money from your bank app. Like, people were afraid. I was working, working in the bank at the time in Nigeria, so I know this. Like, a lot of customers, you know, a lot of people still go to the banking halls in Nigeria. It's not like here in the U.S. where people really don't have reason to visit the banking halls because, you know, you can do anything from your phone or, you know, online or whatever. So when we're trying to, the particular bank I was working with, we're, we're rolling out our banking app and trying to get customers to download it. Customers were afraid. They were like, I can't have a banking app on my phone because if the police apprehends me and they force me to unlock my phone and they see a banking app, they'll tell me to put in my password and transfer money to their account, which is insane when you think about it. It's insane. And it goes to show the level of impunity and the level of, like, these guys have become, they became so notorious that even their commanding officers, like their area commanders, couldn't control them. And it's evidence of what's going on right now, now, and I'll explain. Yeah, area commanders couldn't control them because you force someone to open his or a banking app, transfer money to the policeman's account. That's evidence drill already. You can see that if you go into my account, oh, you know, XXX Naira or XXX, whatever currency, was transferred to someone else's account and that person's a policeman. That's already evidence. But they didn't care. Why did they not care? Because there was no repercussions for their actions. These guys got so notorious that some state governors will end up hiring them as head of security. Like, if there's a particular state in Nigeria where one of the SARS commanders over the years became so notorious, who gained so much popularity and he'll be dreaded by everyone that a state governor will pay him millions of naira just to be his head of security because he wants someone who's feared on the street to be his head of security. He'd rather die with the devil. And this has been going on for years. These people kill people. Like, to the people who dare stand up to them or the people who don't necessarily have enough money sometimes they want to extort you maybe after opening their bank app or whatever they see that oh your account is just you know a couple of cents or a couple of naira like there's nothing in there they can just waste 
a human being for wasting their time. Like, and when I say this, I mean kill someone for wasting their time. There have been stories of people coming back from the UK, coming back from the US, and from the airport. These people, there was a particular time they'll mount illegal roadblocks from the airport because they knew everyone driving from the international airport is most likely coming from a foreign country. And once they see you coming, especially if you haven't been to the country in a while, maybe you, have, you were born abroad, it's like you're maybe first time going back to your home country, and they know you don't really know a lot about the country. They'll corner you, extort you, go through your bags, take all the goodies you bought for your um, loved ones in Nigeria, and sometimes go as far as killing people. There are cases where people are carrying a large amount of dollars or pounds or whatever with them. And so they won't let you go. They'll kill you. There was a particular story, you know, that happened in one of the eastern states in Nigeria. It's a state called Anambra. If I remember, I think the story was in Anambra, southeastern Nigeria. A place called Akuzu, I think. Or Azuku. Either Azuku or Akuzu. And forgive me if you're from Anambra listening to this. There was a guy so notorious who picked up a young man who was just minding his business walking on the streets, detained him for days. His dad had to come and beg for them to release him. And they told his dad to bring XXX amount of money. His dad had to sell property just to come bribe them with that money. And even after the bribe, they failed to tell the dad that they had already killed him like days ago. They had so while the dad was, you know, trying to get the transaction going, selling his property at a below market value, his son was long dead for days. But he still came thinking his son was in detention or something. Paid them the money and they pointed to a river because there's a river close to the station or something. When they kill people, that's where they dump the, the dead bodies. And they told the dad, your son is somewhere there. And the dad had to go into a river with de- different dead bodies floating. Some who had been there for days. You know when a body that has been in water for, for a couple of days. You can imagine different young men that were floating in that river dead. And the dad had to walk into that river and turn dead bodies. Because most of them were you know, floating face down in the water was turning dead bodies one by one to see which one was his son so he could carry his body over to go there. When you hear stories like that, it becomes ridiculous. The extents to which these people go. So that is why we're protesting. And Every young Nigerian is affected by this. That's why the protest is so large. Even internationally. Even those of us that are here in the U.S. were protests in D.C., protests in New York, protests in Atlanta, and a couple of other states. There were protests in the U.K., London, protests in Canada, Toronto, protests in, I want to say, Belgium. Yes, there, was, there were protests in Belgium, protests in so many countries abroad. And we've been on for 10 days because every single Nigerian young person has been affected by this, directly or indirectly. 
whether you're a guy, whether you're a girl. In fact, if you're a girl, that might even be worse if you're a young lady in Nigeria. Because they'll say, oh, look at her. She must be a hooker. Or she must be dating a criminal. And they just go and pick people off the streets. They pick people off the streets. It's not like they, they catch people in the acts doing something or whatever. They just pick people off the streets. Nigeria has a very large football following or soccer following. We follow the English Premier League. That's our sports of choice, soccer. Every weekend, we watch these English teams play, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool. And because of the state of the country where there's, you know, the power supply isn't constant, like nobody has regular power, there are these things called viewing centers, right? Viewing centers are like, they're kind of like event centers, but they're made specifically for football viewing. That's why they're called viewing centers. So every weekend, matches usually go from Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday, sometimes Monday evening as well. These reviewing centers, you know, come up, power up their generator, have like a large projector, and have like hundred chairs or benches where people pay a small fee, come and watch the game together. And they're usually pretty fun because, you know, sometimes even if you have power at home, you know, you might not have cable to watch the match. Even if you have cable, you might just want to be in that atmosphere. It's like the stadium-like atmosphere, watching with other people, arguing with other team members or other supporters. You know, things like that. And there was a case, I think last year, of a young man called Colady Johnson. And Mr. Johnson was going to that viewing center. And I think his team scored or something. He was celebrating something. And police just burst into the scene like no, no, no excuse whatsoever. And the dude got shot and he died. And I think Arsenal, which was like a team he was supporting, even had to like tweet out RIP because he was like a strong Arsenal supporter. Everyone knew him to support Arsenal. So even the official club, Arsenal Football Club, had to like tweet out condolences. And I'm not sure if they go in touch with the family. But we have cases like this happening every day. And this is why we protest. And it's crazy that even during the protests, Police are still killing people. Even during the protests, because this has never happened before in Nigeria. People have been complaining, 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 but we have never had a physical defiance and civil disobedience of this magnitude because of police in the country. So they probably thought that their power is absolute and nobody dares question them even their superiors like their area commanders like most of the senior police officers don't even know what to do with that unit they are so notorious so they were like how dare you how dare you guys stand up to us it's like that and we have cases of police i think at last count like 11 people have been killed since this protest started 10 days ago 11 people have been killed. Peaceful protesters. Peaceful protesters. Of course, there's civil disobedience. But you need to see the way this protest is going. I'm so proud to be a Nigerian youth. I'm so proud. Protesters organize GoFundMe campaigns to donate money to get, like, you know, 
mics to get you know food for protesters to organize um a, a bill for for protesters who were arrested things like that the government blocked the accounts they switched to bitcoin okay let's do crypto government couldn't control that it's decentralized they're using crypto to organize to organize for money there are people who are organizing like uh, lawyers for people who get uh, captured so the extent that the protesters even had to organize private security usually when there's a protest the police is supposed to protect protesters but because the police are killing protesters peaceful protesters some of the organizers had to organize private security for the protesters and of course private security you know there's only an extent they can go against the police but at least to maintain some level of decorum you know in the gathering or whatnot but i'm so proud with how the protest is going so organized so organized countrywide things are happening like that a website came up bank accounts came up like a uh, 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 what's it called like a call center helplines came up people are being searched before they join the crowd to make sure that hoodlums are not infiltrating the protest because at one point politicians were now planting people in the protest they'll pay some people just to cause a disunity and sabotage the whole process what are the protesters asking for to end SARS and this is not the first time protests are going on in Nigeria. We've had a history of protests. We were in a military dictatorship a while back. And what do they do whenever there's protests? A couple of things that the Nigerian government does. They single out the leaders of the protest and probably arrest those who they can arrest, bribe those who they can bribe, and kill those who are uncooperative. That's why in this protest, there are no leaders. Like every time a government official comes to address the protesters, they say, oh, can I speak to the leader? And everybody chants, we have no leaders. Because where you know what they want to do. They want to single out people who they can intimidate who, or who they can bribe or who they can kill. And that's why the protest is, is so confusing because even the police that are shooting at people and trying to quell a protest in one part of the country it doesn't affect the protest in other parts of the country because it's a decentralized uprising and protest so the government came and you know paid lip service like they always do and they say oh they disbanded SARS air quotes disbanded SARS and this is the fourth time they're saying that I think they disbanded SARS like in 2019 in 2018 and I think twice in 2017 uh, I'm not sure about that number, but this is the fourth time that disbanding that unit. And they said, oh, you know what? You know, we've heard you guys, SARS is no more. Now we're coming up with something called SWATs, like the SWATs, Special Weapons and Tactics Unit. And everyone in the former SARS unit will be reevaluated and retrained and put in the new SWAT unit. So it's more like, just changing uniforms. It's the same set of people. And Nigerians are saying no. That this is the five for five. That these are the five things we want you to do. We want you to totally end that unit. We don't want you to change the name. We don't want you to do anything. Let everyone go home. Change. Scrap that unit, number one. Number two, there must be justice for those who have been slain. 
That's number two. There must be justice for those who have been slain. That these police officers who have killed people in the past must be court-martialed. I don't know if you can use court-martial in police, but that's just a military term, but they must be brought to book. And those sessions must be televised. That's number two. And there should be monetary compensation to the families of people who have been killed, who are numbering into the hundreds. And we even put the Nigerian used to show that they're actually thinking about this thing correctly. They even made demands for the police. Part of the five demands they made, some of it was for the police, saying that all police must undergo psychometric tests or whatever, and that the police welfare, like salaries, must be increased and they must be taken care of. Because maybe all this extortion would reduce if they are being paid better or, you know, better taken care of. Which makes, you know, sense. So amidst us dying from the police, we're still asking for their welfare. And they said, oh, you know, oh yeah, we'll look into it. I think the president gave a directive that, oh, you know what, state governments should go ahead and set up judicial panels of inquiry. That's what they call it, judicial panels of inquiry. To look into these cases so that they can prosecute the police and pay compensations where necessary. But the funny thing is that this unit, the Nigerian police, is a federally controlled Paris battle. It's a federally controlled thing. It's not like the US where you have you know, LAPD, NYPD, each state has its, has its own uh, PD. The Nigerian police is the Nigerian police. It's federally controlled. So state governors have no say. So if state governors form a judicial panel of inquiry, all they can do is to recommend, okay, we'll look into it, blah, 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 this is what we recommend, but it's still left to the to government to, to interpret. So people are saying, why doesn't the government do this thing themselves? Not only that, several panels have been set up in the past. Some of them with retired police officers, citizens group, several panels have been set up in the past and have been presented like their findings have been presented to the presidency several times and people are saying why are we setting up new panels that the four five six seven panels that were set up in the past the reports are still there online print them and implement those reports this is what the nigerian government uses to buy time where they bribe they bribe where they intimidate they intimidate where they stall, they stall. This is a, a typical example of stalling. They just pay lip service and say, oh, you know what? Well, this bandit size, we're setting up, you know, inquiry. Okay, stop the protest. Just give us time. But the protests are still going on. Because we're tired of lip service. We want real reform. And we know that most people know that this is the only chance we have. Because if for any reason this stops, this peaceful protest stops. The police is going to crack down five times harder on us because it will now be like, oh, so you guys thought you could stop this, right? You thought you, you had the power for a second. Okay, let's show you. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be total anarchy. So we have to do this right from the get-go. We need to see things change. And NSARS is just one thing. There are lots of things wrong with Nigeria. And I'm sorry to say that because I know I'm Nigerian and I shouldn't be bad-mouthing my country. But there are a lot of things. There's a reason why there's no country on earth you go to that you won't find a Nigerian. 
there's a popular saying that if you go to any country and you don't find a Chinaman or a Nigerian, if you don't find someone from Asia, particularly maybe a Chinaman or someone from China or a Nigerian, then like you should really reevaluate where you are. There's nowhere on earth from Alaska to the Amazon rainforest. I'm sure there are some Nigerians there. But most people were forced out of the country because of the situation of the country. We have almost, um, I think at last, at last count, almost like, um, what they say, like 10% of the whole population or something living outside the country or something like that. According to the Nigeria Diaspora Commission, I'm not sure of that number, but a large population. Why? Because the country is not favorable. Nigerians can apply for the visa, diversity visa lottery in the U.S. anymore because we have too many Nigerians in the U.S. So the U.S. government is saying, oh, give other countries a chance depending on the thing in Nigerians. That's just an example. Everyone leaving the country because NSARS is just a symptom. There are other things we need to tackle. Corruption. Poor infrastructure. Different things we need to tackle, but SARS or the police is just so bad because those other things, well, you know, you don't have power at home, at least you're alive. There's unemployment, you don't have a job, at least you're alive. There's corruption going on, people stealing taxpayers' money or whatever, at least you're alive. But the police, despite you being unemployed, not having power, not having access to good health care, a unit of the Nigerian police is now trying to take your life in spite, of, in spite of all that hardship. That's why this is so pertinent. And I'm hoping that after this, Nigerian youths can gather and face the other issues. Because the protest so far in the past 10 days has been unshakable. Government has met, the president has addressed us. You know, different things. They said they will. They said they will. And we're saying, no, you've been saying you will. We will be here. So something happens and they're really disrupting economic activity. The whole country is feeling the pain. People can't go to their jobs. People can't, you know, travel freely. People can't do things. And we're saying, yes, feel the pain. Feel the, the impact of this civil disobedience because our lives have been taken from us. And it ends now. Like I said, every single person has a story to tell, myself inclusive. Myself inclusive, I mean, I've been living in the U.S. for, um, what, three years now? A little over three years now. When I was in Nigeria, I used to work for a bank. I have several stories, but I'll just tell you the, the most recent one I encountered. Before I came here, I used to work for a bank, and uh, I used to work in a branch of the bank. And they started something called Saturday Banking. And I remember, you know, this was like the first day uh, we started that whole thing, like Saturday Banking. And there were, there were a lot of customers in my particular branch of the bank, and you know, we attended to customers, whatnot, whatnot. And it was a long day, whatever, and, you know, Saturdays, obviously, the bank closes, closes earlier, so it's not a 9-to-5 situation. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, 
it's midday, you know, an hour to closing, let me go outside and get some lunch. Not knowing that the police were outside the bank, like this is outside the bank I was working. They just camped outside there and like I think anyone that came out of the bank and looked extortable, like they just looked at you, sized you up. If you're like a young person, maybe had some nice clothes on, they're like, okay, maybe he went into the bank to withdraw a lot of money. Let's corner him. And they'll corner you and probably throw you out. I was coming out to just go grab lunch. I was working the bank, mind you. And maybe they thought I was a customer. I don't know, maybe because I had the clothes. It was a Saturday, so we weren't wearing the suit and ties. We are just wearing regular clothes. But I was working the bank, which is a pretty good job. You know, back home, you know, you're still looking at like, pick me up. And a man, and the funny thing is like these guys don't even wear uniforms. I forgot to mention that. They don't wear uniforms because if they do, you know, a lot of people see them coming from a mile away and probably they wear plain clothes and they wield guns. So you're even confused if you're driving a car. <laughs> like picture this, you're driving a car and you see a plain clothed person. With an AK-47. When I say gun, I don't mean a handgun. With an AK-47, so it's visible. What are you going to do? Like, this person not wearing a uniform. Will you stop? Or will you try to run through the person or, like, maneuver your car running? Because you're not sure if the person is there to rob you or the person is actually a police officer. You're not even sure. And I'm sorry for that sound in the background. It's Anyway, back to my story, I was, I was coming out of the bank, and these guys approached me, long story short, they put me in their van, an unmarked police van, these guys weren't wearing police uniforms, they were wielding guns, about six or seven of them, they put me into an unmarked police van, so it was like a private car, pretty much, and took me to a station. And they forced me to a station. What did I do? Just pick me off the street, like, and I couldn't tell them I was working for a bank. I could not. Like, a normal person listening to this is like, oh, you were right in front of your bank. Why did you just tell them you were working for a bank? Maybe some of your colleagues will attest to it and you know, show them, you show them your ID. I walked out without my, my, my bank ID or whatever. I could not. Cause that might be more trouble. Like, my Nigerian sense kicked in. I was like, ooh, if I tell these guys, actually work for this bank, it might be worse for me. Because they might want to have collected a dollar from me, now they want to collect ten dollars. Because they go, oh, you're a big shot banker, huh? Either that, or they'll force me to become an informant. Because I've had horror stories working in the bank in Nigeria. So the police will force you to become an informant that, oh, you know what? Whenever someone comes around and does a pretty large transaction, or you know this person always comes around, maybe this businessman always comes around to deposit, to deposit a large sum of money on Tuesday, tell us, they have to alert us when that's happening. And they'll coerce you and tell you, if you don't do it, I will kill you, kill your family, do everything, and you'll be forced to do it, just so that they can extort customers. So I didn't want to tell them I was looking for a bank, so I went with them to the station just Pretending to be a customer, I was like, what's going on? They took me there. You know, started asking me, like, oh, oh, like, yes. Oh, now they brought me to the station. I didn't, I wasn't cooperative on the street. Now I'm on the station that, oh, I'm going to sleep in jail today. 
Meanwhile, I just stepped out for lunch. It was like an hour to the close of business. You know, and I ended up staying in that station. Luckily for me, just about, I think, two hours or three hours, something like that. But like two, two and a half hours, something like that. They took my phone for me. I was using a Nokia Lumia at the time. I'm a very, people who know me know that I, I don't, like, I don't use things because they are popular. That's not me. Like, my car is not necessarily a, a popular, well, I drive a Jeep, so maybe fairly popular. But I use an Android, while everyone uses an iPhone. Like, I just tend to go left sometimes. Like, if people gravitate towards something, I just, you know, want to do something else, you know. I can't be not that I'm contrarian or anything. Like, I like what I like. I'm really liking something. The popularity of that thing doesn't necessarily make me sway not to get it. So I was, I say this to say I was using a Nokia Lumia at the time, which wasn't really a popular phone. Remember when Microsoft bought Nokia? Microsoft bought Nokia and they renamed the Nokia Lumia into the, the Windows Lumia or whatever, or just the Lumia? So Lumia was a phone which ran on Windows OS. So we had, you know, iPhone that ran on iOS, Android that ran on uh, the Google Android, uh, phones that ran, ran on Android OS. And we had a Windows phone that, the Lumia phone that ran on Windows OS. So it was a really popular phone and that was what saved me because it took my phone, forced me to, to open it. I put my pin. Then the police officer disappeared in my phone for like 10 minutes and went in to put some incriminating things on my phone. Like he went in to type an email. He typed the email on my phone and was saying all sort of things like, oh, yes, you know, I just came back from the drug deal. You know, some very funny things, you know, and he brought it back to me and said, oh, look at the email we found on on your phone. And I was like, dude, that's not my email. You put that there for Christ's sake. And this stuff, look at the timestamp. It was just sent now and I haven't been my phone for the last time. They were like, shut up. We just took your phone just now. We didn't go anywhere with your phone. This is an incriminating email. And lucky for me, because he didn't necessarily understand how to operate the phone too well, because it was a Lumia. It wasn't like one of the popular phones back in the day. So maybe he hadn't seen the type of phone before. He accidentally deleted it because I think back then Lumia, if you like swipe up or swipe left or something, you could delete stuff. Like if you just swipe a certain way, I can't remember. But he ended up like as he was pointing to the screen and showing me, he swiped that way or did like an operation that deleted the email that he was showing me. And when the stuff went out, because it took him so long to type the email in the first place, when he saw it had been deleted, it was like, oh my god. Man, it just might not be my day for this guy. And then I had to, I had to lie. I had to lie also to get myself out of there. That look, my dad is a minister. My dad in, in that bank that you guys just took me out of. That if you don't allow me to call my brother right now, he's gonna look for me. And it's not going to be good for you guys. Like, I had to put on, like, a brave face. Like, they were wielding guns and everything. And, you know, it was a lie. But they looked at me like, dude, for this guy to have this much confidence to tell us in our face that, look, if you don't believe me right now, it's going to be bad for you. Like, they're very used to because a lot of people just be, like, afraid and shaky. Or, like, oh, this guy might be 
like he might, you know, like he's not worth tr- trouble. Like let him, let him go. We have other people because there were other people they had rounded up as well. That is a story that could have gone left pretty quickly. And like I said, I've had several other experiences with SARS. Uh, you know, my brother and I used to run an entertainment magazine, so. Of course, you know what that is, running an entertainment magazine, like driving to a lot of places at night, you know, clubs, parties, you know, interviewing musicians, all that. That's even another story. But we need reform in the Nigerian police force. We need restructuring of the country. And hopefully, this is a start. This is a start for real change in the country called Nigeria. God bless Nigeria and SARS. Thank you.